Amen. Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is great to be with all of you who are right here on our campus. And for those of you who are joining us as part of our online community, welcome, welcome. My name is Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here. And, you know, I wanted to just say something there that uh, Alan mentioned. By the way, isn't he great? Alan leads our Hope Bridge food shelf. And what a... And he's been playing electric guitar back here for years. He's one of the only guys, other guys with hair. But uh, he... Uh, he, he's, a, he's, he's been great, and what a godsend he has been to our, to our whole team. But I wanted to just put an exclamation point on something he said, uh, and that is Mental Health Awareness Month, and as a guy that benefits from seeing a therapist, can I just say it has great value, and it is worth doing, and it can be a beautiful grace from the Lord to allow us opportunity to grow that way. So I just want to, I, I want to say that to you, so that you will hear me give voice that that kind of thing matters. And I know it matters for a number of you, and I want you to be able to hear that and hear me voice it. So, uh, so look, don't, don't be shy about good, holy self-care, right? It's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to steward who we are before a great and mighty God. All right, so uh, we are in the midst of a series called Identity. And today we're actually wrapping it up. And I want to invite you, as we step into these next moments, I'm going to uh, pray again here in a second. As we step into these moments, I want to invite you to please lean in with me because I want you to hear, friends, whether you're online or you're right here in our room, uh, I want you to know I absolutely believe that a good and loving father has something to say to you today. Do you believe that? Are you here today to receive from God because he wants to meet you and to teach you and to change you, right? And we need to have that mindset. But we're also here to meet with him, and we want to be available to him and worship him and glorify him. And so I, I just, I want to let you know, I absolutely believe this is the day God's gonna meet you. We're gonna, we're gonna have a, 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 a deep and intimate conversation here for the next little bit, and I want you to really lean in, okay? All right, so Father, help us toward this end. May Christ be glorified. May your gospel be made manifest upon us here. May your spirit move in our midst so that we can conform more thoroughly to this blessed Jesus. Help us, O oh God. Show us your power. Show us your glory. And let us leave here experiencing the utter relief of healing grace. All God's people said, Amen, amen. Oh, the utter relief of healing grace. There is an ancient story about a monk who was caught in some kind of sin. And so there was a council that was put together in order to determine some judgment against this monk. The people on the council invited the elder statesman, Father Moses, this elderly priest, to join the council to participate in the judgment. But Father Moses refused. He wasn't interested. The counselors doubled down and they reached back out to Father Moses and insisted that he must come. So reluctantly, he gathered himself, 
And off he went with a leaky jug of water in his hands. He's ascending the hill toward where the council would take place and the priests saw him and they saw him with this leaking jug and they stepped out and into the sunshine watched him coming up the hill and they said to him, well, Father Moses, why do you have a leaky jug? What is this? And he responded, he said, this is all of my sins falling out behind me and I don't see them even. But now I have been called to sit in judgment of yet another sinner? Who am I? And with that, the council adjourned its business, canceled the endeavor, forgave the erring monk. I want you to hear me, friends. All of us carry a leaky jug. Every one of us have our sins dripping, dripping, dripping out behind us onto the trail. And yes, it is so that in these weeks, rightly, thoughtfully, hopefully, caringly, we have sought to process God's beautiful vision for human flourishing, for suffering and glory and creation and redemption with a particular desire to talk about things relating to the LBGTQ plus community. And it is too easy for us within the church to determine that those sins are the grossest of sins. At least that's the reputation we have. But we all have leaky jugs. We all have leaky jugs. We are all broken people. And let me just say the obvious. Many of us listening to my voice today not only are broken as am I, but many of us listening to my voice today are sexually broken. And so we need to be extremely careful to talk about the sins of another when we have bitter water coming out of our own jugs. Now, it does matter to talk about the things we've been addressing. God does have a vision for how we can thrive as human beings. He has made an eternal case from his word regarding the dignity of being an image bearer, the dignity of the body which is 
something he treasures. The beauty, the majesty, the glory of a woman, of a man, and even of a man and a woman under his covenant covering as husband and wife. And no other arrangement sexually or maritally. And it's not just for the mutual fulfillment and pleasure of the couple, but it is, as we spoke of last week, a catalyst for shaloming a watching world. These things matter. And they are God's design and his decree. And so it is appropriate then to address homosexuality and transgenderism and things relating to such, not with a judgmental eye, but with a caring and loving posture. And we've sought to establish such. And we've also sought to match that with a thus saith the Lord. But understand, as concerned as we can be and should be about the ways that that can so hurt people and our society, so it is our own sin, my own sin does. We all have leaky jugs. The aroma was incredibly enticing, wafting around the complex of tents and well-worn pathways. And Esau, Esau was drawn to that aroma because he had a hungry gut and that aroma spoke to some good food. So he makes his way into his vast family compound and he aims toward the fire pit around which stands his twin brother Jacob and some others. And he goes up and he sees the pot of stew and he smells the wonderful aroma and he hears the laughter of the people and he says to his brother, oh, I am famished, I'm exhausted, give me some of that stew. Jacob grabs him by the elbow and pulls him off to the side and says to him, give me your birthright, I'll give you some stew. Esau, perhaps imagining Jacob is funning with him, says, what's good, what good is my inheritance when I'm hungry? Jacob doubled down. I'm serious, I mean it. And there's a pause or two or three. And Esau gave it all away for a bowl of stew. And the biblical narrative pictures Esau sitting, slurping his stew eating the bread, taking the cup, and getting up and wandering off. Hear me, church. 
silent, bitter, empty-handed. Esau exchanged eternal riches and reward for earthly things, for things of the flesh, for the sake of the appetite. Thousands of years later, the writer of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, weirdly alludes to this story from the ancient days. You'll see the verse on the screen here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. The writer of Hebrews is going along and he's talking about our brokenness. And this is what he says. May it be that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. It's a strange verse inserted in the middle of the book of Hebrews. And part of what makes it strange, there's no allusion to sex in the Genesis 26 story. It's not mentioned. So why does the writer of Hebrews imply as much? Except, hear me, church, there is a template, a formula that is played out in the life of Esau that impacts every one of us and it describes every one of us. It's a template. It's a template that suggests that we exchange God's best to satisfy internal longings. In fact, I want you to read this with me or at least just look at these words here of mine, the, the issue of the template. The template for sexual immorality played itself out in the story of Esau. The template in which one exchanges eternal riches and rewards for internal aspirations, for fleshly appetites. Such is what happens, hear me now, such is what happens when we pursue things that depart from God's perfect design and decree. Such is sin, which is the falling short of the glory of God. And this is the reality of those who commit themselves to homosexual behavior and to messing with God's gender and biological sex design. But you know what else? Because remember, we're, we all have leaky jugs. We are all broken and many of us are sexually broken. It also, it also is what happens when women and men commit themselves or avail themselves to pornography. It's what happens with adultery. It's what happens with premarital sex. It's what happens with sexual fantasizing. 
And the list goes on and on. In fact, the word in the ancient language in Hebrews chapter 12 is the word for sexual immorality is the word porneia from which we get pornography. We've talked about this already this past few weeks. And it speaks to the, the breadth of sexual brokenness, deviancy, and dysfunctions and rebellion. And so listen, my dear friends, my sisters and brothers, we can be rightly concerned about issues of gender and identity and community like we have been talking about. And we've needed to have the conversation for the sake of clarity, for the sake of conviction, so that we can see what is God's best for us. But we're all broken and we all have leaky jugs, right? And so let us not be those people that only castigate them when in fact so many of us have our own brokenness and pain. And so many of us exchange God's treasure to satisfy fleshly appetites. And by the way, it might not even be a sexual thing. It could be gossip. It could be slander. It could be some material greed. Interestingly, when we look into the New Testament and we see all the lists of sins, and right there alongside of some sexual immorality are these other things. But we don't do sermon series on slander, but maybe we should. We don't do sermon series on gluttony, but maybe we should. Because all of these things remind us that we all have leaky jugs dripping out behind us. Here's a question for you. What are the eternal treasures that you are forfeiting to satisfy your internal appetites. Or here's a question, you'll see it right here on the screen. What bitter water are you pouring into your leaky jug? Pornography? Are you having an affair? which is really the wrong kind of language because that reminds me of going over to Larpenter in August and eating fried butter affair. The better word is sinful adultery. Fantasizing, letting your mind Choosing to let your mind wander and stay there? Premarital or extramarital sexual behavior? Slander? Gossip? As a matter of fact, listen to these words from Roy Hessian. You'll see these here. These are, 
This is hard stuff. To the sin of actual sexual behavior has to be added the further sin of lies, deception, giving false impressions, play acting, subterfuge, all to hide what has taken place or is still going on. And so back to the question. Let's put it back up on the screen there. What bitter water are you pouring into your leaky jug? Oh, oh, thank God for the utter relief. Hear me now. Oh, thank God for the utter relief of healing grace. Of healing grace. Do you remember the story I told a few weeks ago in this series about the woman at the well. Remember, she had multiple partners, and she had to sneak to the well in the heat of the day when nobody else is around so as to avoid the scorn of the fellow villagers. And what we notice is Jesus did not condemn her. He was truthful. He gave her a vision for a better thing. In him, the Messiah, living water. But he did not condemn her. Do you remember the story I told a few weeks ago in this series of the woman who was caught in some sort of sinful uh, sexual activity and was drug into the street and thrown down at the feet of Jesus. And meanwhile, all the religious leaders gathered around with a stone to pummel her to death. Remember this? And Jesus, once he called out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, he looked at her, and you remember, he did not condemn her. He told her to go and sin no more. He was honest, but he didn't condemn her. Do you remember the story we told last weekend of how God's people are thrust into exile into a land that is vile, wicked, oppressive, and brutal? And what did God tell them to do? Hide? Live behind fortresses of theology and moralism? No. He said, you build your lives and you bless your community. You shalom the world in which you find yourself now. Why such grace, church? Why such grace? He called out the sin. He directed all to better things, and yet such grace as well. Why is that? Now, you and I have spent a lot of time in this series in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And as a matter of fact, from this platform for years now, we talk a lot about those seminal chapters in the Bible. They are so foundational, unpacking the, the, the vision of a holy God for the created order. But we would be remiss if we also didn't spend a moment in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 1 and 2, we are met with 
God created them, male and female, in his image, he created them. We are met with this issue of it's not good that man should be alone, and so God brings him a woman. And we are met with this issue of covenant marriage, one man, one woman, under God's covenant sanctioning. Praise God for this, but Genesis 3 finds that this very man and woman raise their fist at this God. They rebel against him. They declare their own independence from him. They believe lies about him. They project lies onto him. And with their rebellion, oh, my dear friends, darkness falls. Condemnation, damnation, the created order, now a morass. And remember what we talked about earlier this winter when Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden with their fig leaves behind the trees and the Lord God of the universe walks through that garden. Where are you? Where are you? Because he is impassioned about his people even in their brokenness. Did you hear that, church? He is impassioned about people even in their brokenness. And so he steps toward them. And yes, he calls out the sin and he casts a vision for better things. He deals with it rightly and justly. But I want you to notice with me Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. You'll see it here. Look at it with me. It's a strange verse, it's a powerful verse, it's simple but it sets the tone for millennia, for epics that follow. Here we go. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Let me read it again. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. <laughs> Friends, all of us are spiritually naked. Every one of us. There is no end of brokenness, both sexual and cultural, and on and on. We are a broken people. Every one of us have a leaky jug. Every one of us. And we scramble. We scramble to make our lives work and to find some glory that has been lost with our rebellion. And so we take the fig leaves of, of deception and lies, of aspirations and of internal emotional uh, sensations that we cover ourselves with these things only to find they are brittle. They fall apart. They do not last. Our desperate attempt to find glory, though we've exchanged glory for sin. And so our great God says, wait, 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 wait. You're trying to cover yourself, and it's not working. You see, every one of us are Esau, exchanging treasure for temporal things 
earthly appetites and pleasures. Every one of us are those two women at the well scorned by the community, riddled with poor decisions and choices that make us still more broken. Every one of us are, are the one thrown at the feet of Jesus in front of a crowd while everybody's grabbing their stones to murderously respond. But God says, wait, child. You're trying so hard to cover yourself. You're trying so hard to find your glory, and you're not going to, so let me do it for you. And so, according to the text, he takes an animal and he slays it, and he takes those skins, and can you just see him gently wrapping that first woman with that skin? And now, instead of cold and fearful, she's embraced by God. And can you imagine him taking that skin and wrapping Adam and then just holding him? <laughs> Spurgeon puts it this way. I want you to see me, uh, see, see what we have up here with me. Some creature had to die in order to provide them and us garments. And you know what it is that died in order that we might be robed in righteousness. You see, what we see in Genesis 3 is what they call a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing. The Lamb of God has made for us a garment which covers our nakedness so we are not afraid to stand even before the bar of Almighty God. Do you hear that, church? Amen. The Lamb of God has come and he died on a cross, Jesus. And then he rose from the dead. And he ascended into the heavenly places. And now he is in session, as the scholars call it, with his Father, pouring out intercession for those who have been washed in his blood, those who are his followers. Reminding the Father, yes, these, yeah, I know she's broken, Lord, but she's covered in my blood. Father, I know, I know he just messed up, but he is redeemed. This is good news, friends. And then he's coming back in triumphant glory, and all things will be made new. And because of this, sin and death, and the devil. And my fear, and my filth, and my shame, and condemnation, and the broken pain because of homosexuality, or pornography, or that adulterous relationship, or my slanderous voice, or my gossipy posture, or whatever it is that is the bitter water in your jug, these things don't have the final word. They don't. They do not have the final word. And this is the ultimate picture of healing grace. And it is why 
There can be such relief in the face of such sin, in the face of such brokenness. Because in a world that we try to make right with our own scrambling, he's made right with his own suffering and resurrection. Now we're gonna do something here these moments that's a little bit of a departure from our normal rhythm of the Lord's Supper. I spoke earlier about Esau and how he slurped the stew and took the cup and the bread of bitterness. But right now, hear me friends, right now, right now, we get to be together with the beautiful bread and cup of Jesus. It is a remarkable thing, this, this turn that God brings about from the bitterness of our brokenness to the beauty of our healing and redemption. In these moments here, I want you to have a confessional posture. And I want you, I want to invite you to confess your sin, to repent of sin. To receive the forgiveness of a holy God because of the unquestionable work of Jesus Christ. And to breathe. And I'll say those things again in a moment, but First, right now, will you just take the bread out of your packet there? Representing the body of Jesus broken for us. He was broken so all of us broken people could be made whole. Did you hear that, church? Answer me here. He was broken so all of us broken people could be made whole. Isn't that great? Let us take of this together. In the cup, the drink, his blood was shed on that cross so that all of our sin could be washed away and we could be clean. Clean clean, forgiven, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more precious commodity in all of time and space than the shed blood of Christ. And so let us take this together to remember him. As Andrea sings this song here, I want you to let the healing grace of a loving God just wash, wash over you. I want to invite you, if, if you, you can stand where you want, you can sit, you can kneel, you can come up here to the steps and just cry out to God. Maybe today is the day to confess sin, to repent of, of the brokenness, to Receive his forgiveness and a vision for flourishing 
where you're no longer throwing fig leaves all over yourselves, conforming to the lies of society, but you're just covered with his blood. Do you see him? He waits for you. Are your eyes open? He's not bringing shame. I pray you meet him anew right now. Because with Christ, nothing, nothing, nothing and nobody stays the same.